Everybody got it. Ushers are doing an awesome job. Almost everybody got it. Okay, couple down here. Anybody else need a, um, an outline for this morning? The youth? Down here? Pass it down. Anybody else? So the reason why we keep reminding you that the outlines are important is that they also serve as reminders for devotions for the week, for time for us to be able to not only hear the Word of God on Sunday, but to continue to relive the Word of God Monday through Saturday. And so this is such a wonderful time of the year. And we often think of it as Christmas. But Christmas is just one day. But Advent is a season. It's a month, it's a time for us to enjoy the anticipation of the coming of Jesus. And today the title of our message is, You Will Have Joy. Can you say that with me? You will have joy. Okay, let's say it one more time. You will have joy. That's a promise to you. You will have joy. Now I know that not everybody right now is feeling joy. Some of us may not be feeling joy because we're sick. Some of us may not be feeling joy because we have some issues or trials going through our life. But all of us will feel joy again. God promises that to us. And the challenge for us is to believe, to believe that God will give us joy again. Advent is about the looking forward to joy. This is the third Sunday of Advent. And the third candle of Advent is a time for us to remember that God's light gives us joy. Do we have the... Um, that the third candle of Advent is a reminder to us that as Jesus comes into our life, we have his light to give us the hope of new life, the hope of new joy. It doesn't mean, though, that we won't go through difficult times. We will go through times of loss. We will go through times that take away seemingly our joy. But the promise of God is that we, even in the midst of trials, can have joy. Even in the midst of hurt, even in the midst of loss, even in the midst of suffering, we can have joy. They're not mutually exclusive. Suffering and joy can go together. In fact, we'll see this today throughout the Bible verses that we're looking at. That Advent is a season for us that while we are going through difficult times, God still promises joy. It's throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'd like us to do a responsive reading together. And this is taken directly from Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10, and Jeremiah 31, 13. But as we're reading it, pay attention to the words that are the words of sorrow, or mourning, but also pay attention to the words of rejoicing or of joy. And I'll read the first verse, and then you'll read the, the italicized ones afterwards until we get to the end. Let's read together, and I'll, I'll begin. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. The young women will dance for joy, and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrows for rejoicing. Now just look at these verses again. 
notice that there is sorrow and mourning. There is sorrow and mourning. But there is also everlasting joy. The sorrow and mourning, it's going to disappear someday. And then it'll be replaced with joy and gladness, even dancing. And then our mourning, our mourning will turn into joy. And not only will we have sorrow, but we will have comfort. And our comfort will be also an exchange for the pain resulting in joy. I know that that's not easy to fathom when you're going through great loss. I know it's not easy to believe that if you're having a hard time in marriage right now that someday you'll have joy. I know it's not easy that if your job seems to be disintegrating that maybe it'll be resurrected and you'll have joy. I know that if you've lost lots of money and and it seems like everything you invested in is going backwards, it's not easy to have joy. I know that if you are seeking something in life and you've been looking for it all along and it seems like it's gone and, or it'll never come, that it's not easy to have joy. But it's so important for us to believe that we will have joy. To believe that God will give us joy. Some of us have gone through this past year, or certainly over the past years, severe suffering. But God promises us that even in severe suffering, we can have joy, but we must believe. We must believe. God promises to give it. But like any gift, it must be received. Turn with me, please, in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And that's in the New Testament. It's sort of right in the middle of the New Testament. I'll let you find that. And as we are using our real Bibles, uh, we are learning to find within the pages the Word of God. It allows for us to write in them, so if you want to keep that Bible, you can write in it. If you have your own Bible, I encourage you to to circle this verse. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version and Uh, The New International Version was recently updated, uh, but I'm reading from the original version. So you'll notice the words may be just a little different than yours, but but pretty similar. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. You will become imitators of us and of the Lord, says the Apostle Paul, in spite of severe suffering. In spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. So important for us to see this right away. That Paul is teaching us and that God's word is teaching us that even in the midst of severe suffering, we can welcome joy. It's not easy, but it comes in the message of God's word. It comes in the messenger of the Holy Spirit. And God would have us to believe that because his word is true and because he is true and because he promises that someday you will have joy, that you will have joy. But it won't come by our own efforts. It won't come by our own struggling to get it. It won't come by our own will. It'll come by his own power and by the Holy Spirit. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 16. The Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John chapter 16, verse 19, 
It's in the middle of verse 19. I'll begin with the quote as Jesus begins to speak. And he says there, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here right before he is about to be crucified, right before he is to be arrested and taken away from them. He will die, he will be put into a tomb, and they won't see him, and they will weep, and they will mourn, and they will grieve. But Jesus says they will see him again. They don't know that right now, but they will. And when they do, their grief will be turned to joy. These are the promises of God that we will have joy. And so, as we understand this promise, and as we go into the word of God today, and as we follow the outlines from the book, about living the Christian year and the devotions that are there, we see that as we come to God, we approach Him. We approach God. And we approach God by presenting ourselves to Him. We present ourselves humbly and reverently. I'm working on a, a, I've been working over the last like, six to nine months a devotional called Following Jesus. And in it, before I begin my devotions, the, Bible, um, the, the writer tells me to stand up and just bow. And just bow as if I'm bowing before Jesus. To remind myself to be reverent and to be humble. And so we bow our heads, or we may bow upon our knees. But when we do it, we're doing it because we want to present ourselves to God rightfully. We want to do it humbly. But we also want to do it with faith. We do it secure knowing that he receives us, knowing that when we bow, he doesn't hit us over the head, knowing that when we bow, he puts his hand down to lift us back up because he's forgiven us. And we remember his grace, we remember his love, and so that we can invite God's presence into our lives. We can ask God for what we want. There's a psalm, Psalm 186, that in the first four verses tells us how we can ask God for joy how we can ask God for joy, even though we ourselves know we may not necessarily deserve it or our circumstances see so heavy that we'll never get it. But in Psalm 86, would you turn there, please? Verses 1 through 4, and I'll read it, and you can follow. Psalm 86, 1 through 4. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In his humility, in verses 1 through 3, he comes to the point in verse 4 where he prays the prayer that you and I pray as we are approaching God this morning. Let us say verse 4 together slowly and let it be our prayer to God. Say it with me out loud, would you please? Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Let's say it again one more time. Bring joy to your servant, 
For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Can you imagine right now that you are lifting up your soul to God, the innermost being, the person that's really inside of you? Can you just sort of picture that right now, that you're lifting it up to God? When the psalmist wrote it, it was like a metaphor of childlike trust in God. It was a metaphor of confidence that if I put my hands up to my heavenly father, he will pick me up like a child reaching up to his mommy or his daddy saying, please, I want to be held. I want to lift up myself to you. Would you pick me up? And God says that he will. And this is our prayer. An author, Tony Renke, writes this, and you have it there on your outline. And I'd like you to read it out loud with me. Would you stand up as we read it? As a symbol of our own lifting up ourselves to God. And this is his paraphrase of Psalm 86, verse 4. And this is his paraphrase, understanding the context of what we just read. Let's read this prayer together and as a prayer. God, I lift up to you my dry, languishing soul. I turn to you because I believe you can restore its joy. I want you alone. I want you to fill me, to fill my soul, to fill my whole being with joy. Where can, can I turn if not to you? To you alone, lift up my soul. My soul longs for God. Please be seated. We've asked God for joy. We've prayed and we understand that In any context of our lives, he promises to give it to us. And so now we want to listen to God and to hear what he says to us. And Al read to us our main passage for today, which is Psalm 126. And the first thing that we want to see in Psalm 126, the first three verses teach us that joy comes to us as we remember. Joy comes to us as we remember God's past victories. I want to read verses 1 through 3. In Psalm 126, and you can follow along. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. The psalmist is looking back to a time when the people of Israel were outside of Zion, they were outside of Jerusalem, they were outside of Israel, they'd been taken away from their homeland, their land had been ransacked, they had been defeated by the enemy. But then God returned them to Zion. He returned them to Jerusalem. He returned them to their homes. And they remember that in that time when God did that, they had joy. They remember that their mouths were filled with laughter. They remember that their tongues had songs of joy, just as we sang. Joy to the world, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, God of love. And they remembered all of those things. They remembered the great things God has done for them and all of our lives. God has done great things for us. There is not a one of us here who doesn't have a memory of the past and probably uncountable memories if you were to think of them. That there was once joy in your life. 
that God did bring something good into your life, that he answered a prayer, that he did a miracle, that he did great things and you experienced it and you felt it and you can remember it if you choose to. That God has done great things for us. And as we remember his past victories, we remember that we once had joy and we can relive that again. It can stoke the fire of joy. Remembrance can be like kindling to joy in our hearts. It's not something that was past and forgotten. It's something that was past and continues on even until today that we remember all that God has given for us. So we begin by having joy as we remember God's past victories, but then we also can have joy as we anticipate God's future restoration. Verse 4 of Psalm 126. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev is a desert in the southern part of Israel. It's from about where the Dead Sea is all the way to the south of Israel. And it's this humongous desert. It's just a wasteland. And it, it's just, it is all brown. There are mountains. But then there are huge valleys, like Death Valley in our own state, where there is nothing but sand and maybe a few cactus. It is hot. It is dry. And what the writer of the psalm is telling us here in verse 4 of 126 is that there are times like that in our lives. And maybe that's where you are right now. Externally, you are in a place where you are in a desert. It's dry. You can almost feel it in your mouth. It's dry. Your heart feels empty. The heat is almost unbearable. And you wonder, how can you make it? But the psalmist says, I anticipate God to still bring me joy. I anticipate that God will restore my fortunes like streams in the Negev. Every now and then, a cloud might still go over the desert. And rain would fall upon the mountains outside of the desert. And the rain would fall at the top of the mountains. And if it was a thunderstorm, it would begin to go down like a flash flood. And it would work its way to the valley. And what the author is saying there in verse 4 is that he looks to the mountains. He looks to the hills. He looks to see that there are storm clouds over there where rain and the water that he so desperately needs is falling. And he anticipates it coming down into the valley where he is or where she is and says, I believe that God will bring water back to my soul. I believe that God's going to bring water back to my circumstances. I believe that God's going to bring refreshment even externally to me, even though life right now is so very difficult. We have to choose to believe this as the psalmist does to anticipate God's future restoration even in our external circumstances. But as we go into verse 5 and 6, I want us to, to really dig in deeper here because I believe that this is where we live right now. This is where it's really practical because joy comes to us not just as we remember God's past victory. Joy comes to us not just as we anticipate restoration, but joy also comes to us in the present as we sow seeds, as we believe that God is going to work in our lives. 
We need to learn that even though we cry, there will be laughter. Just think about it. When we came into the world, we cried a whole lot and a lot quite long before we ever laughed. A child cries before they learn to smile. And the same is true for you and for me. A lot of times we have to go through long seasons of crying before the laughter will come. And those are the seasons where we have to learn to sow. And the psalmist here teaches us how we can sow in the present times and what it is that we will sow. And it's not always pleasant, but it will have a wonderful result of joy. Verses 5 and 6 says this, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. God says to us that we are going to sow even in the seasons of difficulty. And the first thing that we are going to sow is we are going to sow in tears. We are going to sow in pain. We are going to sow in times when our body and our soul feels racked with hurts and disappointments and sorrows. We will cry and there will be tears. And this weeping will be over maybe our own sins, our own mistakes, or over the faithlessness of other people, over the circumstances outside of our own control. But we will still sow. We will sow in faith. We will sow even though there are tears, we will continue to seek after God. The fact that you're here today is evidence of that, that you are that kind of person. You are that kind of person. You're here today because you believe that no matter what's going on in your life, God's more important than anything else you could do right now. You believe that no matter how hard things are, this is the right place to be to worship the Lord God. And you have faith to be here. And you have believing hearts to be here. You are reading God's word. The choice for us, though, is to obey it. To obey and to follow him. And to continue to seek him, even though there are tears. Sometimes you just can't stop crying. And there are pains that just keep coming out night after night after night. Day after day. But then there comes another time. Maybe where you've cried so much, you now have no more tears. It's as if your soul actually has become a desert itself. You're no longer in the desert. You've become the desert. And you want to cry, but it's like, have you ever had the dry heaves? Where you feel like you've just got to get something out, but you can't, and it hurts even more. And there's something I think that's even more painful than that, is that's when you want to cry, but you've cried so much you don't even have any more tears. And it feels like your tear ducts are just like a dry riverbed where it ought to have water, but there's nothing else. And the psalmist tells us that there is a season of dryness that goes from the outside to the inside. And there's a dryness that hits us when we are so weary of the scorching heat. And we fall to our knees and we say, God, help me. Help me in the midst of this desert that's within me. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, is often, is, has been called the prophet of Advent. 
He's the one who tells us that Jesus is coming. Turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. So if you have your Bibles, the middle of the Bible will be Psalm. So you want to go past Psalm and get past the poetry literature and then past the Song of Solomon. And then you'll hit Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35. I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 35, 1 through 7. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. God wants us to know that deep within the soil of the sand underneath the desert, there are bubbling springs. And even though there is dryness in our lives, God has given to us the hope and the picture of flowers growing in the desert, of bubbling brooks, of water gushing forth, that God will give us strength renewed and our fears will be overcome that God will bring divine retribution to those who have hurt us. We leave it into the hands of God. We pray that they might turn and repent. But if they don't, God will take care of them. But for us now, we turn ourselves to him and we trust in him. And God says, someday you will see my splendor. Someday you will see my glory. And that though life is dry within you, even if you're in a scorching place, coolness will come. Water will gush forth. It will happen. It seems like we keep going down from tears to barrenness. Can we, can we go down anymore? And I think it's important for us to know that, yes, there's even still another place in our lives where, where there can be hurt because just as the desert itself is barren, so is our souls at time barren. That there is a barrenness when hope of new life seems long gone. There's a barrenness within us where it seems like no more can life come out of us. We have an Advent story in Luke chapter 1. It's the story of Jesus' cousin, of John, who is going to be born. He was born six months before Jesus. He was in his mother Elizabeth when Mary heard that she was going to be pregnant with Jesus. Mary went to go visit Elizabeth after she heard that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And we read this story of how Elizabeth 
was able to conceive even in her old age, not miraculously by the Holy Spirit, but miraculously still because she and her husband were very elderly and beyond the years of childbearing. And so we read this Advent story in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 15. And I'll read it and please follow. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's regulations and commandments blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. He was, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. There are times in our life from the circumstances that we go through, from the people that we love, from our neighbors and our friends, where we feel that there is no more hope in those things. There's a barrenness that we feel that no life will come about. And yet we find in the example here of Zechariah and Elizabeth how we too can live in that time. They had probably borne a lot of shame because they hadn't had children. And that was a, a thing that would be shameful in that day. And here they were very elderly, but the Bible tells us that they continued to serve God, even in their barrenness. They had spiritual integrity. and They had faithful service. And they didn't understand. They were probably going through times of great disappointment. They were probably going through times where they were perplexed at what God was doing. But still they trusted God. And in the end, God had a plan. And it's interesting that this is coming at the end of their lives. I want to give this as a hope to anyone who feels very, very burdened right now. That if God would bring into the end of the life of the faithful ones of Elizabeth and Zechariah, so will he be faithful to you as you are faithful to him. That God has given to each and every one of us a life to trust him. And he promises joy. And he promises to bring us out of darkness into light. And Elizabeth in her old, old age conceived. And the Bible says that when she would have a son, as we see it there in verse 14, that he will be a joy to her. He will be a joy to his father, but not only to them, but to many. And many will rejoice because of his birth. We see in this a very important part of joy. And that is that joy is something that when God gives us, it is meant to be reflected upon the lives of others. That when God gives us the opportunity, then we have joy. We give that to other people. In verse 57 and 58 of the same chapter of Luke, 
The Bible says that after the baby had come, this is what we read, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Her neighbors and her relatives shared her great joy. This is the opportunity that you and I have this Advent season, is to help multiply joy in the lives of people who need it. To our neighbors and to our relatives, there are opportunities for us this coming Saturday. Um, we can go down to Mexicali. We can go down and we can share joy. I know it's early. I mean, you've got to get up. You've got to be there by 6 a.m. at Starbucks. But that's good news. You get coffee. And then you get a drive for three hours, and that doesn't sound like a lot of fun either. And you've got to crawl across the border to, to Mexico. And that doesn't sound like a lot of fun to some of us. But then you get there to the Salvation Army. And you see the children. And you see the living conditions around their neighborhood. You see the church building that looks like it's just going to fall over. And you see a dry, paveless playground. And then you begin to play with the children. You begin to work as you put together the supplies for their schoolwork. You get to bring out all the gifts and separate them. You get to take the, the school supplies and prepare them to give the children. You get to play with them. If you know Spanish, you get to talk to them. Even if you don't know Spanish, you can talk to them. And gradually your attitude begins to change. And you don't think about, gee, I had to give up some sleep last night. You don't think about, gee, I had to drive down here. You don't think about, gee, I, I'm having some problems. You think about them. And you realize not just how blessed you are, but how called you are to give, even in this time of your life. This is Elizabeth. And this is Zechariah. That's what they did. But even though they didn't have what they wanted, even though they didn't get what they had been waiting for all their lives, even though it seemed like barrenness had left them dry and they didn't have any more and it was just too late, they still gave. And God's inviting us to give. We have lots of opportunities for that in many different ways. I just found out um, this past weekend that the Toms right now are going to be our seed family going to Honduras again. So they're planning to go to Honduras with the same organization that we've all gone, those of us have gone before. Um, is it a gospel mission outreach? And um, we're going to be going, or they're going to be going down at the end of July. So if you're interested in that, you can talk to the Toms, you can talk to me, you can talk to Pastor Jerry about what that's like. And prepare to go in July and you'll have the greatest week of your year. Al was saying that Mexicali is the best day of the year for him. And it could be for you as well. A couple of weeks ago, I got to serve with some people and we were down at the, um, the warehouse there in, in Irvine to pack boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Um, they were trying to pack a million boxes in that warehouse this year. They're expecting 10,000 volunteers to go into that warehouse right here to help pack those one million boxes. And I don't know if they're still available, but you can just look on the website. You can just go in and walk in, and they'll let you in, and you can help serve. There's so many ways to give. Through World Vision, as we've been encouraging you, through a Sabbath way of giving, that instead of just giving gifts to each other, we give gifts to each other by giving them to other people in their name. 
And you can buy a duck, you can buy a goat, you can buy a cow, you can help buy a well. There's so many things you can do. You can have classes for women to teach them how to take care of their children. You can have help to give medicine to those who don't have it. There's so many ways that we can give to our neighbors and our relatives around the world. But to our neighbors and relatives around us, what can we do? Well, in a couple Sundays, it's Christmas Sunday, and Christmas Sunday is literally Christmas Sunday this year. And for those of you who are here, I encourage you to right now be inviting your family and friends. Plan your Christmas day around worshiping Jesus, the reason for the day. You can come to church and then go out to lunch with your friends if you find a restaurant that's open, or you can have them over to your house, or you can go to their house. But you can worship God, and they can hear about the love of Jesus on Christmas Day to come to know Jesus' love. This is why God gives us the hope for joy, because everybody has a hope for joy. Everybody needs joy. Everybody suffers in different ways. Everybody who has suffered understands. And all of us can receive the joy by responding to God. If you look at your outline, you'll see that in the responding to God as we've listened to his words, what we can understand and what we can know and what we can see is that God has given to us a power in our lives to receive his gifts of joy. The word there is, Lord, as I imagine and remember your power displayed in delivering your people and turning tears into joy. I long for Jesus even more. I hunger for your gracious rule, your just and peaceful realm. In Luke chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, Blessed are you who hunger now. You will be satisfied Blessed are you who weep now, you will laugh. Can you believe that? You will have joy. You will have laughter. Blessed are you who weep now. The blessing, and the word blessing also has the meaning of happiness to it, is that your blessing will be someday you will laugh again. And when you do, it'll be deeper and stronger and better than ever before. As we close in prayer, I'd like us to stand again and to read this prayer. It's written by Dr. Tim Keller, and it's in his book, The Songs of Jesus. And it's his response to our psalm today, Psalm 126. Would you please stand with me as we pray this prayer together? Let's pray it together, and again, pay attention to the words May they be the words of our heart as well. Lord, I am praying for my church, my country, and several people I love, that they will be spiritually empowered and renewed. Help me to rest in your timing, knowing that my tears and prayer are like seeds that come to fruition in the lives of those I care for. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we have gone through your word this day, we are thankful that even though there are times of tears, there's also times of hope. That even though there is times of sorrow, there will be times of joy. We will have joy. 
We will sing a song. We will trust you even now for that time. So, Lord, we pray. May your joy in us grow. Even now, Lord, as we remember the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus who died on the cross to forgive us of our sins that we might have life. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated.